this is Ikarumba from Ikarumba and the Infidels and the Ikarumba Show on Code Zero Radio. It's time to get into the music. Today's show is brought to you in part by WCZR Code Zero Radio, your go-to for the best alternative and indie music. Find them at live.codezeroradio.com or download the free Code Zero Radio app. And now... Let's get into the music. Well, hello, everyone. This is Rob, and thanks for tuning in to Into the Music. Whether you're a regular listener or hearing Into the Music for the first time, please consider subscribing to the show. This helps to keep the podcast going, and you'll be sure not to miss an episode. Subscribers will get a shout-out and a chance to make an appearance on the show. Just use the link in the show information. Well, in my experience, sometimes when someone I'm talking with mentions a name new to me, there's that voice in my head that says, I gotta check him out. Well, last fall I was talking with Kurt Gunn, and he mentioned the name Maddie Day, and immediately Maddie was on my radar. Fast forward to the past few weeks, and Maddie and I start communicating. I see he's playing bass for Wayne Newton, and he's releasing an album called Metadata. Plus, like me, he's into surf music. So, Maddie is one of the most interesting guys in the Northeast Wisconsin music scene, and it's about time we get to know him. So, welcome to the show, Maddie. How are you doing today? Doing great, Rob. Really appreciate you having me on the show. I'm a big fan. Oh, I appreciate it, Maddie. Thank you. Well, I got to say, I enjoy how you inject humor into what you do, whether it's music-related or otherwise. There are splashes of it on the new album, Metadata, and the accompanying media like the videos and the album cover. Odd question to start an interview about music with, but what are your humor influences? <laughs> yeah, man, I I mean, there have always been times in music when, you know, even, even early Bob Dylan, Rolling Stones, Beatles, they, they started, like the 60s started to sort of be like a time when some of these serious bands started to cut it up a little bit. I guess not in music. I, I grew up on South Park and everything that those guys did. Some of the satire stuff like uh, Mel Brooks, Christopher Guest, that, that kind of stuff too. But, mm-hmm. you know, Monty Python as well. Yeah. There's something to be said about a lot of those things that you listed off there, because I think there's humor out there that has an intelligence to it that kind of is maybe a cut above everything else. That's what I see in your material. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, well, what can I say, man? It takes a lot of brain power to sound this stupid sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, looking on your website at the 36 bands that you've played in, even a number of those have humorous names. Some of them that I liked were like Boneless Skeleton, Muddy Utters, the Yardbeards. What kind of band was the Yardbeards? We were playing at a little place in Green Bay off the Fox River Trail. So it was like we were kind of playing out to the yard, if you will, and two of us were kind of scruffy facially and the the drummer who was not um 
almost in like a ZZ Top way. <laughs> um, <laughs> decided to call us the the Yard Beards. Just yeah, goofy guy. It was it was just kind of like a pretty easygoing gig. Well, not not a very serious band, so deserved a not very serious name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, some of the others were like amazing heebie-jeebies and Wayne Newton. <laughs> I mean, well, obviously Wayne's parents named him, but how much input did you have in naming all these different bands? Actually, Wayne's first name is Carson. Found that out. <laughs> um, Carson Wayne Noon. Uh, let's see, the heebie-jeebies. That was uh, that was just a, a pickup gig or two with those guys. They're they're from Chicago. Let's see, Muddy Utters was one that we we had basically booked a gig before we had a name, and I just had an ongoing list of just band names ready to go and started going down the list until that one got approval. If I, if I recall <laughs> the that was the third one on the list. And the, the first two, uh, I, I mean, I still think they were pretty good. There was the soap scumbags <laughs> and uh, the budget cutups. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, since we just mentioned Wayne, how did you land that gig playing bass for him? I mean, oh man, that was awesome. Uh, that was entirely from Alex Drossart, one of my best buddies, who's a phenomenal piano player, song composer, and musical director. And he actually played for Wayne last time that he came through on the casino circuit. And this time around, he also needed a guitar player and a bass player. He's, he's the kind of guy that can just, he shows up in a city, people get mailed the charts for the music, and then uh, you get together with him a couple hours before the show, a little bit of rehearsal, and then it's showtime with Wayne Newton. It's pretty surreal. <laughs> wow. So what was it like for you to back an entertainer like Wayne and play stuff like Donka Shane and Daddy Don't You Walk So Fast? <laughs> well, admittedly, it was not like I, I kind of had like laughed about it. I had this just kind of jokey idea of Wayne Newton, and I, you know, think a lot of people do. I, I didn't even know I knew the song, like the the line "Donka Shane," and that was it. I didn't even know how the rest of the song went. So, I, in getting ready for it, I decided to devote a little bit of time just to, you know, just kind of appreciate the magnitude of what I was getting to do and I did a bit of a crash course on him. Like I'd never heard daddy, don't you walk so fast. And like, you know, I'd never heard any of his other songs. And there's some totally cool ones that I, I didn't know that he had been this, you know, how he got started and how he was just this total music prodigy. Yeah. And then not to mention, he was just super cool to us. Like immediately, like I, I tried to call him, Mr. Newton, he wasn't having that. It was just Wayne. Mm -hmm. <laughs> During rehearsal, I, I, was, I was sitting down for a part in the song that called for a bass solo. And uh, after the song, he said, Maddie, when, when, you, when it's your turn to take that solo, I want you to stand up and be a star. Said, yes, sir, Mr. Newton. <laughs> and, uh, <yeah. laughs> Sorry, Wayne. Uh, but yeah, then... Uh, that was that was just really neat. Uh, just kind of mixing it up with him. He was just so nice to us. Let us come in his dressing room after and get a picture with him. And yeah, fabulous guy. I'm a, I'm a total convert now. Big fan. Nice. You know, Daddy, don't you walk so fast? I remember hearing that back in the early '70s, growing up. And on one of the radio stations in Madison, there was one DJ 
that every time he played the song, he called it Daddy, Don't You Walk So Fast or I'll Kick You in the Shin. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's my memory of Daddy, Don't You Walk So Fast. That was a cool one. Yeah, a lot of those songs. Uh, Red Roses for a Blue Lady. Um, we did a version of Orange Blossom Special with him playing some pedal steel. It was really cool. And then the whole show itself was this kind of multimedia thing that uh, it was showing clips of just old television performances. And he, he did this great duet with Glenn Campbell. Um, he told the story how they flew all night to London and got on TV and, and they had the clip of that, which was just awesome. And uh, I guess the whole multimedia show experience may or may not have influenced what I wound up doing for my album release shows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we're going to turn a corner and start talking about that here. Now, the new album that you just released is called Metadata. Now, for context, can you explain the title? I'll try. Um, <laughs> it was it was pretty pretty nonsense. I, I just remember hearing some British guy talking on a podcast or some news clip or something, and he said the word metadata, and but the way that he said it was like metadata, and it just sounded funny. I, I love accents and just. I don't know. I, just, I got a kick out of that. And then, of course, it just, just playing with it and breaking it down. It was, you know, meta in terms of being like self-referential, Dada, like the art movement. I don't know. Maybe even just like <laughs> I have like this little little book with my kids that I think Jimmy Fallon wrote called Dada <laughs> about like animals saying their dad's name. And it was just like, ah, this, there's just so many funny little ways to go with this. It kind of sounded like my name. And, uh, and I just thought like, it just, it was so open-ended that it, it just, I don't know. I, I hadn't really thought about doing a solo album until weirdly enough, I heard that. And it just suddenly just gave me this idea that you could put anything in an album called metadata. It, it's, you know, with the nod to the art movement and the fact that it's just, you know, there's just no rules. You can just put anything into it and it could conceivably fit. So I conceived it. <laughs> right, right. Well, looking at the 36 bands that you played with, is Metadata more or less the result of playing with such a variety of people and a variety of styles? Gosh, I don't know. It's, I mean, I guess it's a bit of a chicken or egg thing where it's like, I love music. I see no reason to limit oneself to genres. And, you know, certainly it's, for like the different types of bands I've been in, it's been a bit more fit into genres, but yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've played in the, the types of music that, that appear on the album, you know, bluegrass, rock and roll, psychedelia, country, surf, uh, you know, I, I managed to kind of play those in a bit more specified bands. And then, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I had a number of songs that had just never, found their right home and uh i i I had always thought that they would this this kind of all came about during covid when nobody nobody really knew what was going to happen with music so i just had this idea that you know i've got to get these out somewhere or another and i know a couple guys who are just super talented producers that can help me pull it off and yeah, so I get your question about just the different types of bands that I was in. It it definitely yeah, there were there were songs on here that 
I kind of thought would go with certain bands at certain points. And then those bands just fizzled out or like the songs weren't great fits after all or whatever. I just kept them and yeah, kind of glad I did. We'll be right back after this short break. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Well, my wife and I were at the Metadata Soiree at Gibson Community Music Hall in Appleton, which served as one of two release performances of the album. Now, for listeners, when I say performances, this was not you and a band playing the album live. You, along with several others that were involved in the creation of the album, performed skits to some of the songs, and there were videos made for some of the other songs that you showed. How did you conceive of the soiree instead of the traditional release gig? (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you very much for coming. Those are the only two performances that going to be doing for this and for anybody who attended you understand why we won't be taking this to the bars um yeah and, and yeah, i it, thank you for giving me the bag of fun i enjoyed oh, yeah. throwing things at you <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah had to had to get people involved a little bit in like a rocky horror type way um <laughs> So I was so focused and just having the best time making this music that suddenly it was just, it was done. And I hadn't really thought that far ahead about what to do with it. Part of what inspired the album itself and just being able to jump across genres and have some 20 different people guesting on it was just being absolved of any kind of pressures to have to perform the music live. I mean, that kind of undertaking would be just absurd. And, and it, it probably wouldn't even be, it still probably wouldn't even do justice to, you know, just what I think is just really good production for the album. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I don't know, but I, I hadn't really thought about what to do. I knew I wanted to do it on vinyl, uh, put the record out because I'm a record guy. And I don't know, to just put it out digitally, it just, it sort of just felt, it would have been completely unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I wanted to put it out on vinyl. Turns out vinyl is even more expensive than I thought. And uh, once I committed to that, I thought, well, I really need to, how am I going to sell this now? I need to do something to, you know, make this money back and get people interested in this thing. And uh, yeah, I, we talked about a couple ideas, maybe just doing some kind of listening parties at record stores or something like that. And oh yeah, I could get pizza and cupcakes. Like, oh, come on, man, that's not what I'm in this for. Like, I'm not into <laughs> the catering. <laughs> like, I, uh, but, but I guess to that, and I'm also not into theater or anything like that. You know, this isn't like the the shows were not, because I had this like itch to scratch theatrically or anything like that. This was unlike any of us had ever done, which is to say it's unlike any anything that any of us ever wanted to do. I don't know. There's just something so unique about doing this process of writing 
you know, kind of like vignettes or little scenes and printing out programs for it. And uh, yeah, I had wanted to do music videos for a number of the songs and I, I got three different directors on board with having their videos done in a pretty short timeline. Like they've, yeah, the people that, that worked on the, the media stuff, especially Oliver Anderson, who did the projections and, and things like that. And Oliver's a guy who has created, he's an Appleton guy, and he's created projections for Billy Joel and the Foo Fighters. Wow. And we, we kind of did some work for each other. I, I helped him with some, some writing stuff uh, for a documentary series that he's pitching. And yeah, he in turn helped me out with this. So it came together because of just some super talented people that, I know, and I just proceeded to just call in every single favor I thought I might be able to cash in on. And yeah, my, my friends were just huge in this. And the guys who were in the show and my wife and my daughter, I mean, all of us, myself included, though I didn't voice it to anybody. I, like up until the day of, we were all just thinking, why did we let Maddie paint us into this quarter? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it turned out just so cool. And yeah, it, it was by the end of it, everybody was just really glad that we did it. And yeah, it, it was, it was great. So I'm, I'm so grateful for, for everybody who came to check it out. Yeah. Well, before we go any further, I want to give listeners a taste of metadata with the song In Our Coldest Time. To me, it sounds like something that could have been on the Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society album. Oh, wow. But with a hint of tape flutter in the instrumental tracks. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Tell us a bit about the song. Uh, that was one that I think was one I intended to be for my band, the Prigs, which was very much like, yeah, you're spot on with the influence there. I'm a huge Kinks fan. So it was a melody that I'd had and been hanging on to for a couple years. And it was just too cool of one. I, I just enjoyed it too much to not try to work it into the album. And then where it kind of fit sequentially, I thought it made for like a good zag after the previous songs, Zig. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I was just trying to write a little thing about this for a little blog about it. And I I don't know what else to say. It was just kind of um, something that I, I let the melody, which was pretty well set, dictate what I was doing lyrically. Like, I don't have a set way to write songs. It's not lyrics first, music first or whatever. But in this case, it was very much melody first. And then for the lyrics, I just totally indulged in like Van Dyke Park style wordplay and purple prose and that was kind of the way that i wrote for the prigs a lot of the time too nice well folks here's maddie day with in our coldest time mesdames et messieurs écoutez cette chanson de tout votre cœur et laissez-la vous changer profondément je vous présente dans notre moment le plus froid par mathieu day Time fail to see the 
Nailbiter going the week of the release soiree performances and that you didn't know if you were going to have the vinyl shipped in time. Was it a timing issue on the manufacturer's part or what happened there? Yeah, still waiting for my nails to grow back from that. (laughs) (laughs) I gnawed them off. Um, So this was my first time doing vinyl personally. My band, The Foamers, had vinyl put out by a Milwaukee record label, but I was just blissfully unaware of everything that went into the process. And one of the, the biggest things about vinyl, and if you if you get good company to press your records, they're going to ensure and inspect every record is just flawless before they send it out. Mm-hmm. So they can never really give you a solid drop date like they can with something like CDs. Right. My, my initial estimate was for uh, early January. January 4th was the day they said they'd have it all. And even then, I, that was later than I thought it was going to be. Um, if you look on the record, I actually I have on the back of the record 2023 because I thought <laughs> I was going to have it done by the end of that year. Right. But yeah, so I thought, OK, well, maybe they're just playing that safe. And then as soon as I approved the test pressings, because they, they send you out five copies of the record just to, to check it out and see if you like it before they you know go off and press a whole bunch more uh as soon as i approved that i checked in again and i, I just said hey we, we still good for january and i got an affirmative answer so i <laughs> i had the, the gigs penciled in for the venues for the release shows i hadn't put them out there yet knowing that you know the the, the companies kind of say something to the effect of don't book your shows until you have your records. Mm-hmm. But I, so I kind of rolled the dice. I thought, ah, oh, come on. I've got like three and a half weeks grace period. This, this should be fine. 
and uh, yeah, I let, I let it go a week after the estimate date, and then I, I started to check in again, and and all they could really say was, it should be good. Yeah, it, it, it should be good. It's on our radar, and it was just getting closer and closer, and I, again, like it's a good thing in a sense that I paid for quality records. Um, part of that was because the records themselves are uh, it's 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 about twenty two and a half minutes per side, which is kind of risky for vinyl if you're mm-hmm. working with someone who's not. Um, this is all stuff I learned from my crash course. I had no idea about any of this before, but eighteen to twenty minutes is kind of the sweet spot, or just like the maximum of what you're supposed to be able to fit. But I invested in like a higher quality company to accommodate what became, you know, these larger run times. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, from there, it was like they're also going to be very particular about what they release under their name. That's got a groove records out of Cleveland. Uh, and they were, they were absolutely cool about the whole thing. But there was only so much they could tell me. And I was just starting to get faced with okay, um, do I have to pay for overnight shipping? Am I going to have to drive to Cleveland to get these the day before the show? Um, am I going to have to, you know, worst thing would have been pushing back the release shows. And, you know, I, I amazingly had people flying in from other states to catch these and things like that, like a bunch of family plans. And, you know, just the way that I had promoted the album, there was a certain momentum to it to where it was all going to, come together that one weekend and I to have bailed on it it was just I was going to do everything I possibly could to make sure that it happened and yeah the uh finally got the the good news I think it was the Tuesday of that week where I told the venues okay we're doing this it's going to happen I'm going to make sure this happens and once I found out the records were done they were supposed to arrive 7 p.m. the night of the first show was my delivery estimate for that and I'm trying to chase UPS truck around town to see if I can just get it from them. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it turns out they showed up four hours before the first show, you know, some four and a half months in the making and it came that close. It was just unreal, man. It was crazy. I've, I've had situations like, like pretty close with CDs, but nothing like that and nothing that major. And, you know, like, sure, I could have done a, maybe like a pre-order sheet at the show, but it's like, the whole point was to have the records. So, right. yeah, so I'm just, I'm still like catching my breath from that whole ordeal. I can't believe how that happened. It's definitely an impressive looking packaging. The label, oh, cool. everything just was very nicely done. I, again, that's that's my good buddies. That's uh, my friend Loretta McGee uh, from Appleton taking the, the picture at the PAC in Appleton where. My friend Gerald is the head of events. I'm probably going to butcher his title on that, but basically that he was able to just get us in on a day when it was empty in the middle of summer because they don't use the room in summer. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, that was totally cool that happened. And then my friend Jake Phelps, who I've worked with on a number of design projects, uh, helped me put it all together. Well, like it was mentioned before, there's an element of humor that runs throughout the album. The opening cut, Satan Gave Me Sunglasses, is really your take on some of the old Leuven Brothers gospel recordings. How did yep. you stumble on the Leuven Brothers to begin with? I think in my late teens was when I really, I started kind of moving on from just some sort of 
indie rock stuff and i just kind of got way more into just actual rock and roll i guess so just uh, a lot of oldies and stuff like that and i was loving 1031 wogb at the time because back then they would play 50s and 60s stuff mm-hmm. and i actually got turned on to a lot of music from that i hate what they've become now if i may but uh <laughs> with their 70s stuff but i just came to really appreciate a lot of older rock and roll from that station in particular and the everly brothers were absolutely one of my favorites from that so it started with the everly brothers and then working back to i I think they've got a whole album of everly's doing leuven brothers songs maybe i'm wrong on that but i kind of just traced the the chain of the close harmony brother prospect back to the everly brothers influence the leuven brothers and uh was just really enjoying them and and then Beyond them, the, the Leuvens were influenced by the Delmore brothers, which people who know uh, the movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, the, mm-hmm. the one brother was named Delmore after them, because um, it's just very much like the type of music that's in that movie. Right. So I, I loved listening to that stuff, and I was working a job where I had a, I was driving a truck doing lawn care, and I would have... I would listen to that music and I would come up with a third harmony part for the two brothers. That was kind of the way I'd pass the time. Yeah. Well, how much of an influence have they had on your music over the years? Um, the, the Leuvens in particular? Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, gosh, you know, I, I, I loved the way that the music kind of it had this sneaky way of rocking like it, it almost felt subversive in a sense like this, some of the stuff is gospel like this shouldn't rock this hard. right <laughs> you know with like some real guitar parts and stuff like that but i i guess like in that sense you know for that type of music i i was probably a lot more influenced by elvis and his band carl perkins gene vincent you know just for for that kind of era you know i love the melodies from the Leuvens and you know just some of just the the simple melodies that like that's totally what I'm going for on that on that track you just totally nailed it Ike Garumba here from the Ike Garumba show on Code Zero Radio do you know you can make yourself happy just by controlling what you drag across your psyche so stop staring at that toxic screen and just put your ears to work. Listen to the Icarumba Show on Code Zero Radio, live at 8 p.m. on Tuesdays on Code Zero Radio and On Demand. Because I'm a Bob Dylan fan, I want to mention Ode to Jove, um, which is a favorite <laughs> of mine off the album. It, uh, oh it happens also to be the shortest cut on the album. Uh, it <laughs> yeah. opens side two, and to be honest, what you did in there was a total surprise. And <laughs> I think we should play it before we say anything further, just so folks have some reference here. So here's Ode yes. to Jove.
how in the world did you conceive of this? Oh, <laughs> let's see. I came up with the lyrics for it. And I just, I had this idea for this kind of song that would just kind of get cut off like that. I, I don't know. I, it was just sort of like a corny Americana song. And I, it was just this kind of funny way to to just dash it to pieces. But then it really, it was in the studio where, or, and like working with Sam and Alex, Sam Farrell was the main engineer on this. And he and Alex produced this in Appleton. And uh, those guys, I mean, these are two of my best friends. So lots of laughs in the studio and everything like that. And it just kind of slowly became this <laughs> Dylan parody. And we just really, there's like a lot of funny, just little you can hear like at one point I, I muffed the bass a little bit, which was totally intentional in this sort of just like the blonde on blonde era, just the way that the guys would play. Like they were kind of following Dylan instead right. of really knowing what they're doing. And yeah. And then of course, like when the, the big crash happens, it was just, we just went so over the top. on that, <laughs> and, and it was just way too fun. Like, I can't tell you how many times we listened to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah, that that whole mix is just my ideas for just making it as just as crazy as it could sound. Uh, that's my my dog Batman howling in there. That's actually my youngest son was is crying, and we like lowered it and distorted his <laughs> voice for it. <laughs> and uh, and then there's also uh, our a rooster um, that we we kind of accidentally had, and then I actually. Uh, I had to end his uh, his miserable uh, existence, uh, but before I did that, I've I recorded him. Uh, I recorded his crowing. <laughs> we put that in there too. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of a lot of homespun uh, heck going into that, or uh, you know, I guess it's Jove, so it wouldn't be. I guess for the underworld, it would be Tartarus or whatever the Greeks had for their <laughs> horrible pit <laughs> well side one closes with an instrumental called sunburn which is kind of a southwest flavored surf ballad after the soiree yeah. you and i talked a bit about our mutual appreciation of surf music and some of the surf stuff that you've written and recorded over the years now you told me that sunburn is actually the third part of a trilogy of burn themed <laughs> surf tunes tell us yes. about that yeah i mean this is this is a deep cut for maddie day completus i guess but my first instrumental surf track i ever did was for the 2008 muddy Edder's debut album consolidate your feelings that song is called rug burn we actually conceived that one in an earlier recording session i'll just mention uh john stuke a uh, green bay musician who plays with the raglanders and has a new band called lightning factory a uh, super talented guy uh, we had one uh battle of the bands contest at iq's in green bay that afforded us a free recording session we only had one song at the time and you know it's funny i was just listening to your episode of the surfaris how they basically came up with wipeout <laughs> because mm -hmm. they only had surfer joe to record um not not quite the magnitude of our spontaneous surf <laughs> instrumental but uh yeah I, I had the the one riff for rugburn and i you know 
it was just kind of in the classic surf sense. It's just sort of like, it's an instrumental, give it a moderately menacing name right. <laughs> and, uh, and you're on your way. And yeah, so it was kind of a an innocuous song title. And yeah, then the next time we set about to do one of my instrumental surf songs was on the third Muddy Utters album, Bloody Murders, which... Yeah, we recorded that out in Minneapolis and that one started to get like a little bit more of like a theatrical flair and just I, I loved how how that one turned out that one is called drug burn and uh that's like more of like uh if, if rug burn was kind of like a I don't know maybe a ventures style drug burn was more of a dick dale okay and then with this one, I, I had been hanging on to the melody for Sunburn for a while. I mean, at, at that point, I just thought, oh, I should I should make this a, a trilogy. And it doesn't, it's not like the songs are connected in any kind of musical sense. It's just, you know, oh, my own kind yeah, of way. Other but, than Burn is part of the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then with, with Sunburn, I, I was thinking originally more of like a Shadows type, just kind of wide panorama you know, with like the string sounds and stuff like that. Um, certainly borrowed a lot from like Ennio Morricone, but it felt good to uh, put the other bookend on the trilogy like that with this album. Nice. We're going to take a listen to it right now. So here's Maddie Day with Sunburn. Enjoy.
Well, Metadata is one of the most eclectic albums I've heard. Were the songs just stuff that you accumulated over the years, or was most of it written specifically with the Dadaism in mind? Oh, no. There are parts from this album that I've been hanging on to for as long as 15 years. Just stuff that was just like a little too out there to really fit and certainly would have had no place in a live show. So, yeah, I, I mean, and it was, you know, whether it was stuff that I brought to bands or intended to bring to specific bands that I was in, it was all just, I don't know, I don't want to say leftovers because I don't want to denigrate the songs or whatever, like say that they weren't feature worthy. It's just that they weren't good fits for these other projects that I had. Mm-hmm. So, which is to say, you know, even these parts, it, like, there's there's a, a bass riff that's maybe 15 years old, but that's all I had. And it was only when we started making this album where I'd be finishing these songs the day before we would go in and record. It was just, yeah, just, it, just this project, the nature of this project just pushed me to actually finish these things and complete these ideas. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess a lot of the lyrics and everything, because I was writing those around the same time, there's some motifs that kind of worked their way in, but like in terms of the Dada thing, I, I guess like, I don't know. I, I, I was, it was more of just trying to take these very different songs and then work them together and, and come up with a, a track list that had some sort of discernible arc, even if it's only <laughs> discernible by me, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know. I, I, like the Dada movement and everything like that, I'd, I'd always just, just kind of known about it and been as fascinated by it as I was annoyed, but I didn't really try to fit it in to that. Like by putting the meta Dada or, you know, meta in front of it, it, it sort of, I felt like it was kind of like a pass to not be traditionally Dada, I guess, Dadaist. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, we had talked about a little bit before, but your approach to the digital side of things, and in this case, it's pretty unique. Uh, you're putting out each cut track by track on Mondays via your website, which is MatthewTDay.com. How did you decide on this strategy? Well, the fact that we were only going to do those two shows just sort of meant any eventful aspect of this music was just going to be over and done with in one weekend. So I just thought that's, that's kind of a shame. You know, we put all this hard work into this record and everything. So how can I kind of make it just eventful beyond that? Still toying with it. I might, I might do two songs a week. We'll see. But uh, basically just this idea that I'm going to, rather than just throw everything out there at one time, just make it, I don't know, a little bit more focus on the songs individually and, uh, you know, for the people who are already familiar with the songs, I'm writing an accompanying blog to just talk a little bit more about the sessions and just kind of what we're going for, hopefully without picking it apart or whatever. But yeah, I just thought it'd be a cool way to just kind of showcase the songs a bit more individually and just kind of prolong the whole process because once all these songs are rolled out, there's really nowhere else to go. So yeah, Mm -hmm. enjoying it while I can. Yeah. It almost reminds me in a way 
of TV before you could stream. So everything was yeah. appointment TV, you know? You sure. had an, an appointment with your favorite program on this night at this time. And, you know, I think, <laughs> wow, I mean, what a cool kind of throwback strategy. Of, of One of my friends just said the same thing, where he, he just said, you know, the way that TV shows put out the entire season and you can just binge it all in one night and be done with it where he was sort of, he found himself a bit annoyed at me, like, why, why don't you just put them all out there? And then he kind of stopped and said, well, you know, I could, I could just kind of enjoy these as they come out the way that you would a TV show historically. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if it's like driving people nuts or, or what if, if it's working, but I don't know. Like I said, it's just, it's something that I'm in no rush to just get it out of my life and online or whatever. Um, but Maybe it'll be, I, you know, for all the stuff that I came up with for this whole process, like that's just kind of a, one more just kind of slightly different way of rolling it out. Mm -hmm. Well, I read the first two entries in your blog about the first two songs, you know. Oh, cool. And, and I was very impressed in, to what you were saying about, you know, you don't want to be picking them apart too much and whatever. I really appreciated what you've written on the blog and I'm not going to ruin it for anybody. I want people to go visit your website and check this stuff out because it's great stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, it's shocking how hard it is to remember certain things and how easy it is for other things. But <laughs> yeah, it's been a cool way to just, again, just kind of put a bit more of a, of a spotlight on these songs. Cause yeah, we're, we're pretty darn hard on them. Yeah. And folks, that's once again is MatthewTDay.com. So check it out. You're going to love it. Well, you have a host of collaborators from around the area on this album. We talked mm -hmm. about Alex Drossert and Sam Farrell being the producers before. You know, what was it with them? You had mentioned that, you know, they're just great producers, but what is it that they bring to something, a, a project like this? I've played music with Alex for maybe 12 years, probably more. Uh, Sam, I've, I've played music with uh, since we, I met him when, when I joined the band J Council. So for him, it's been, you know, almost 10 years as well. Uh, there's just such a simpatico and, and they just, they know where I'm coming from. They know that I have all these weirdo influences and they're sympathetic to try to come to life. And yeah, I just, I trust those guys implicitly. They're a couple of my best buddies. I talk to them every day. So it's just super easy to work with them. And in another sense, an excuse to uh, hang out once a week. We usually recorded Wednesday evenings for this, but uh Beyond that, you know, it, I've got a lot of good friends. I wouldn't trust just anybody to be my <laughs> record producers like this. Mm -hmm. um, those two have a ton of experience, especially working on different projects with Corey Chisel, where they're producing all these different artists that, that Corey would be bringing through Appleton and also producing different things for TV shows, because Corey's been doing some really cool work uh, in some of the more visual media now. And uh, yeah, they, they had just, especially in the last couple of years, just really upped their, their skills and it was just a no brainer. And part of it was they were willing to do it. I'd recorded with them a ton as it was. Alex recorded the Priggs album. Alex was in the Priggs, of course. And then when I came time to just 
I don't know. I just, I kind of just got the guts to ask them to do this. And then I also uh, decided just as a bit of a barter that I would paint Sam's house for him <laughs> and uh, <laughs> build up some goodwill there. Uh, by the time we got through this all, I'd probably have to paint like a, an apartment complex for him to <laughs> make up for what I, the time I took of his, but we kept the vibe very good without, you know, I'd, I'd bring refreshments and take the guys out to dinner, order out or whatever. So it always felt just like a, a fun time with those guys. And that was just huge for just keeping the vibes up and, and keeping us focused because we spread this out so long. I mean, I think originally we thought we'd get it done over a summer, but mm -hmm. we just kind of just kept chipping away at it. And we were in no rush and we never really risked losing focus. And, you know, the fact that I had a, a track list as a blueprint for what we were going to do. And then also just the way that we recorded was unlike anything I'd ever done before, where we decided to just work on each individual song from start to finish and then move on to another, which is, you know, normally in the studio, you'll go in and you'll track drums and bass for every song first and then start to build up on them one at a time but because of the unique nature of each song we just felt it would be all the cooler to just really dig in and kind of forget about the other songs just work on that one individual track and then move on and then of course you know we gave mastering engineer justin perkins <laughs> quite a job to you know kind of sonically tie all those different sessions together but then mm -hmm. he, yeah that guy's that guy's the best of the best so yeah, it worked. Yeah. Well, some of the other musicians that you have on the album, you mentioned Corey Chisel, Ryan Seafelt, Bill Gracely, yeah. great guitarist, area yeah. legend Frank Anderson is on yes. the album, Andy Klaus, and you even have family members on it. You know, you mentioned your son <laughs> crying on <laughs> Oh to Joe. <laughs> yes. But no, you have you have other family members on it as well. Yeah. And Frank even directed your video for Media Casualty, which just Yeah. That sucker just rocks hard and doesn't stop. <laughs> Frank was very yeah, he kind of just called dibs on that before I started asking people to do any kind of videos and he just yeah he he did incredible work on that that was really fun and he pushed me man like i like that uh for that i was basically like training to get into shape for that <laughs> session because i knew i was gonna have to do i think i did like seven or eight takes of just giving it my all so yeah he tied that all together that was just such a cool process but yeah i mean all the all the different guys i mean some of the other guys that Riley Crow, uh, who plays in Dusk, and Boy Howdy, and Darn It, um, drums on a, a number of the songs. He's he's also in the band that I'm in with Alex Sam and Ryan Ike called Hang Ten, which is I mean I, before you get too excited, it's not it's not very surfy, but uh, it's very California influenced, kind of a modern pop sound. Um, uh, then one of the other drummers was. Uh, the drummer from Media Casualty was Marco Marsh from the band The Lately, which again is that's Sam, Ryan Ike, and uh, Mike Vanville. It's just it's, it's it's a lot of the guys who are in the same bands together. You know, Bill Gracely is a guy who I've played with before in Corey Chisel's band, and he's just been like a good friend for a long time. And he then he plays in the surf band Zebra Muscle with Frank. I don't know if you're aware of that that group, but absolutely, Pedal they're Steel on my radar. <laughs> 
Awesome. Very cool. One of the other drummers that was just phenomenal was Ethan Nordyke, uh, who is presently the drummer for the Green Bay Jazz Orchestra, somebody who I've known for a long time. And then he was the drummer in a band called the Blowtorches, Rockabilly Band out of Madison. That was uh, a band that I, about a year and a half ago, was they have a different drummer now, but I wound up being their hired gun guitar player for a while. And so I knew he could drum rockabilly really well, like he does in the song Lust. One other note about Ethan, because I, I think he's just, he's a gem and he's kind of overlooked around here, but he actually, from the sessions for the Blowtorches album, that was recorded at Smart Studios in Madison. And he did so well on those sessions that Smart hired him as their session drummer from that like that's that's the kind of caliber that that guy is he's just he's a great guy also a great ice fisher um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you know then, it's uh, it's yeah. good to have the bases covered you know oh <laughs> yes and then i think the other drummer just so i can cover all those bases is andy klaus who was the drummer for the prigs and just another one of my best friends and also my daughter's piano teacher <laughs> And we heard your daughter playing piano when we arrived at Gibson for the show. Oh, fun. And nice. she was doing a fantastic job. <laughs> she loves it. And uh, that was just so cool. She's usually kind of shy about it, but it was just, I think she was just bored enough from having to be there early while we got things set up. But uh, yeah, she's she's blowing my mind for just being seven. She's just just awesome. Yeah. Well, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, let's take a listen to another cut, this one being Lady Circadia, which is some well-executed psychedelic pop. How do you tap into something like that and make it sound so authentic yet fresh? I don't really know which way we were trying to go with that one. I mean, I, I knew the the elements that were going to be there. You know, like there's the 12-string electric guitar the kind of organ sound that that Alex played on it yeah gosh the and just the type of the arrangements I mean I just I've always loved that kind of 60s vocal sunshine pop style um, still obsessed with it bands like the association of course like you know Beach Boys that kind of stuff I mean I'm just I'm just steeped in it and I that was the sound that we tried to do with the prigs that's another that's another song that probably would have been a uh, prig song or considered to be one at one point yeah and then just for the overall production of it it was just i don't know i mean with a lot of these i didn't i didn't go in with a really specific sound of how i wanted these to turn out like even when i would demo the songs i just left it very very minimal just almost intentionally just bad sounding because i didn't want to fall in love with a certain type of sound or any of the kind of happy accidents that happen during demoing and then you can never recreate when you do the real thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I just, I kind of just laid off of what I wanted that one to be like. One of the other influences for that one was, are you familiar with the British pop band XTC? Yes. They were around in like the eighties and they had this side project where and they were, it was mysterious at the time. It wasn't confirmed that it was them though. It may have been a bit of an open secret, but where they just indulged all their sixties pop psychedelia influences as the Dukes of stratosphere. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's this kind of, 
a parody, but you know, it's still just so darn good that yeah, just the way that like hearing a band in the eighties try like what they were doing to mimic the sounds of the sixties, I don't know, just kinda of show you know, it's it's kind of possible and you don't have to play entirely in that framework. You can what is psychedelia you know like there's no such thing as psychedelia by numbers you know like mm -hmm. sure a couple touchstone things fuzz guitar here whatever but I, I think it was more just in the spirit of it and just the the kind of adventurous way we approached the recording that one really came together all right well folks here's maddie day with lady circadia Central Park was 
you know, what we were just talking about, Maddie, in regards to what is psychedelia, you know, what are the touchstones and whatever. But I think any kind of subgenre or movement, for example, I was listening to your song, Untrue and Not Enough, and that just reminds me so much of like the cool early 70s stuff like Badfinger and the Raspberries. Nice. That's exactly what we were going for. Yeah, totally raspberries. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Darling, if you've been untrue, then I will have to set you free. It's gonna be so hard on you. You'll wonder how you blew your shot with me. Maddie, it's time we wrap this up, but someday I think you and I need to have a serious conversation about surf music and delve into your history more. 
That'd be so cool, Rob. Yeah, I'm really happy to meet a fellow surf enthusiast. It's great. It's one of those niche genres, but boy, when you find the fans and you've got something to sink your teeth into, boy, it's so good. Anyways, congrats on metadata. And uh, I hope it does well for you. I mean, I see that already you have less than 100 left. And Mm -hmm. why don't you let folks know where they can find you online, get your gig schedule, and how they can procure metadata? Sure. I've got the home base of MatthewTDay.com. I've got Instagram is MTDay, E-double-M-T-double-E-D-A-Y. Uh, Facebook, the public page is Matty Day Verified. Uh, I've now got a Bandcamp page. I'm now on Spotify, uh, kicking and screaming, but there I am. Uh, <laughs> I've got actual records for sale in Green Bay at the Green Bay UFO Museum and at Rock and Roll Land. And now I've got records for sale in Appleton at Eroding Winds. And of course, the, the records can be bought through uh, the band camp as well. So yeah, check it on out. <laughs> Great. Well, Maddie, thanks again for your time and sharing about yourself, metadata and, and Wayne Newton. So <laughs> yes. yeah, much success to you. Thanks so much, Rob. Really appreciate you having me. Cheers, man. Yeah. Thank you. Well, my guest today has been bassist, writer, and Dadaist Maddie Day. Look for his new album, Metadata, on his Bandcamp page and on his website. Join me next time when my guest will be guitarist Woody Larson, who those following the Northeast Wisconsin music scene have heard play on countless releases, and most currently with a fantastic new band called The Tunes. Thanks for listening, and please share into the music with your friends and on your socials. We really appreciate it when you give the show that signal boost. So long for now, and we'll see you next time we get into the music. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Into the Music. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Odyssey.com. Drop us a line on our socials or email us at intothemusic at newprojectx.com. To support Into the Music, go to buymeacoffee.com slash intothemusic. Your support keeps the show going and is always greatly appreciated. This show is copyright 2024 Project X Productions. Join us next time we get into the music. God bless and take care, everybody.